Well, good afternoon. My name is Bill Hutchison. I'm with the University of Minnesota Extension IPM program that's integrated pest management at the University of Minnesota, where our goal really every year is to develop and implement new IPM programs for farmers throughout the state, especially. Today, we're going to be talking primarily about field crops and primarily about corn, at least for those who've been able to get some corn planted. Today's our first podcast on May the 30th, 2019, that uh, we're following up with what was a successful run last year. And we have some special guests with us today, Bruce Potter, who's also with Extension, located at Lamberton, Minnesota, at the Research and Outreach Center there. And we have Dave Nikolai, Extension Educator, who many of you are familiar with, uh, with his work with Extension over several years now, especially working in field crops. Today, our focus really early on this year is uh, where we're at with a couple of key insect pests of corn. And Bruce has a lot of experience with the early developments this year. So Bruce, as we've talked about already today, black cutworm has been active in southern Minnesota. You want to just give us an update? Sure, Bill. It's uh, been a pretty impressive year for black cutworm flights coming into Minnesota. Basically, since the 22nd of April, we've been Every week we've been getting at least uh, in parts of Minnesota significant flight in and when we, we're talking about eight or more moths in a pheromone trap over two nights, that's kind of a warning signal that there's enough moths in the area that potentially enough egg laying and enough larvae could cause some crop damage to corn and these, these uh, insects also attack other crops. Uh, sugar beets is another pest that is a, a concern. Soybeans is a wide range of crops. The other thing that's happened this year is uh, most people are aware of a real late planting season. And what happens is we get a lot of cutworms coming in, large cutworms, and then we've got small corn and the damage can be a little bit more uh, severe. Mm-hmm. And again, this year you're coordinating a fairly extensive trapping network for black cutworm. How many counties or how much of southern Minnesota do you have covered? We've got most of the counties in southern Minnesota with at least one trap. It's a pretty extensive network and we've got a lot of good cooperators. These are all volunteers that check traps once a day, report Mm -hmm. those data in once a week, and then at uh, my office we collate the data and develop maps and and, uh, start calculating degree days, predicting when uh, egg hatch is going to happen and cutting will begin. It's been a few days since I looked at some of your maps this year. Where are some of the hot spots or what you call these red counties so far? Well, we've had some real impressive flights. Uh, We've had a couple into southeast Minnesota and also into southwest Minnesota, west central Minnesota. Basically, there's enough moths coming in over the the spring here that most of southern Minnesota is at some risk for, for damaging populations. But the numbers have been really huge. We've been catching atypical numbers, probably over 20 per night in some of these traps. And that's that's pretty rare for Minnesota. Right. That is significant. And where are we at, you know, with the delayed planting for our crops, that's one issue. But then, of course, some of our weed species are doing just fine out there taking off the spring. What are some of the key weed species to look at for black cutworm or that might be attractive to black cutworm moths coming in and then having a large egg lay event? Well, sure. When those moths come in, they're looking to mate, and then the females are looking for good areas that for uh, laying eggs. The things they're looking for are, are a lot of times winter annuals, some of the early season spring weeds. Lamb's quarters is a really good spot for them to lay eggs in. 
soybean residue is a kind of a trigger. We send, mm-hmm. tend to see more problems after soybean residue than anything else. So one of the key things that people can look at is when that field was worked in the spring, when they got those weeds out of there. And once that happens, those fields aren't as attractive for uh, cutworm moths to, mm-hmm. to lay eggs in anymore. And just a quick advertisement here in the middle of our podcast today. What's the name of your your newsletter or your website that people can go to to get more information on the current updates with these uh, cutworm moths? Well, we've got a series of weekly, basically weekly during the spring here as these flights were coming in. We're done trapping for the season, but we've got a report called uh, University of Minnesota Black Cutworm Pheromone Trapping Cooperative Network, and it's a newsletter that's on the internet. Google search on your IPM newsletter is that uh, there's gonna, well that's a that's a di- different newsletter Bill I I write way too much and <laughs> I can't see anymore I'm going to have to have yeah, my I've eyes fixed if you go to the, yeah. if you go to the Southwest Research and Outreach Center website and look at for pest management there's the right. Black Cutworm Network there's a lot of information on the different flights as also management techniques on there and I also put out a newsletter kind of in, intermittently during the summer as pest problems develop and that's the uh, southwest minnesota ipm stuff that's been going as long as i've been working at lamberton so which has been about 100 years it right? feels like it it's feeling even longer today right now but uh but uh that's been 22 right. years 22 years yeah. very good so we've we've talked about these moths coming in what they can lay eggs on and when they might be moving to corn but that's really the next key question for corn that is planted. By the way, I, I understand that we're about 65% of the acres, corn acres have been planted as of this past week. So we've got corn that hopefully is germinating, is going to be making progress here fairly soon that could be attractive. Then we've got corn that's still still to be planted. So in that context, where are we at in terms of what the, the so-called cutting dates are? Well, the, the good news is that just because we're getting these big flights in and we're catching these, these moths in the, in the traps, we can make predictions, but there's a lot of biology and environmental interactions that have to happen. So it's, there's no guarantee that we're going to have a lot of cutworm problems, but really people should be paying attention. This is, we've been running this network for several years, and this is by far the most moths we've been picking up. for. Basically, corn planting didn't get started anywhere in Minnesota till. Uh, mid-April, and there was very little corn planted when these first flights came in. Our biggest wave was on April 22nd, so all those fields hadn't been worked in their attractive. As as the season progressed, in some areas, guys got were basically done with some of these fields a couple weeks ago, and then we've got other areas that nothing's been done yet. So, like I said, that's one of the things to look at is when those fields were worked, when they were less risk, and when those cutworms came in. Those earlier flights right now, are probably going to be uh, starting to, lar- they have to be large enough to cut a corn plant. That'll probably start happening sometime next week. And it, we should point out that these forecasts are simply a prediction, a best estimates based on the degree day models that have been validated in the past. But the bottom line is growers and consultants need to be out there watching these fields early to make sure there's no s- significant stand loss. Right, and I think we're going to have some issues with some of these wetter areas where uh, guys went in and planted and the fields weren't in the best condition. We're going to have some stand issues, and that's going to make this scouting for cutworms a little bit more difficult because if you're mm-hmm. seeing a missing corn plant or some a corn plant that's kind of wilted, you got to determine is it actually an insect or is it just that it's had a hard time uh, pushing through a clod the size of a Volkswagen. So nearly all the corn is, is still uh, seed-treated. 
with various insecticides. So the, is the seed treatment going to take care of the cutworm problem? Do I need to worry about it? Uh, it'll help. It, there's some effectiveness. The issue is, though, that they only last a certain amount of time in that corn plant, and, and those cutworms could be feeding on weed species out there uh, and then moving over to corn when they're larger. If they do that, you know, if it's a large cutworm, one bite basically, and they're going to knock a corn plant off. You can overwhelm this by large, by a lot of large cutworms coming into small corn uh, later on. Okay. Uh, the other, the other thing with this uh, timing on this is, is just because a plant's cut off doesn't mean it's going to die. So what we have to worry about is where that cutting's taking place, and if that cutting's taking place above the growing point. Corn's going to push new leaves out. It'll be fine. If that cutting's below the growing point, then you've got a dead plant. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why right. some of these broadleaf crops like sugar beets or even soybeans to a certain extent are more at risk because that growing point's always above the ground and those cutworms are going to have a tendency to cut below that. Right. And so now I'm thinking about the many, we have several species of, of cutworms that do overwinter in Minnesota just fine, and they're going to be coming out this time of year. Some of those overwinters late in star larvae, right? So they're coming out as a one-inch size worm, and uh, they can do a lot of damage as well. And dingy cutworm included? Dingy cutworms is probably one of our more common species. The good news about dingies is, particularly in the case of corn, is they're, they're, they're one of the climbing cutworms, and they mm-hmm. tend to feed higher up on that plant soil level or higher. And, you know, they're not going to be in that growing point. So... But that's, that's important because if you find cutworms, it's good to try to get an identification on it mm-hmm. because if, it, if it's a black cutworm, those are pretty high propensity to tunnel below ground and cut. Right. Uh, dingies, dingies not so much. So basically, mm-hmm. if we're seeing dingy cutworms in a cornfield, it's not, it's not usually a big deal. It looks ugly till it grows some new leaves. Right. And so another, another key point for scouting purposes, especially black cutworms, aren't they more active in the evening or at night? And you might walk a field during the day and everything looks fine. How do, how do we deal with that? Most cutworms are nocturnal and during the day they're, they're hiding under bits of debris, under little soil clods, uh, crop residue. So if you find cut plants, that's those are the areas you're going to want to look at at a, a missing corn plant or an injured corn plant. Look at right below the surface. They tend to hang out at that border between dry soil and wet soil. So this year they're probably about four feet up in the air in some fields. But the issue is finding damaged plants, finding cutworms, making sure they're there. And if you see damaged plants and you're worried, you can always flag some plants, come back a day later and see if, the, if that damage is continuing. Okay. Very good. I hate the, to be the bearer of bad news, but just one more insect that I want to ask about for this early season window here is uh, the true armyworm moth, which is another species that I, that I understand can migrate up here, has been causing more problems in recent years. Where are we at with that? Well, it's, uh, it's another migratory pest. It comes out of a little different area in the south. Those populations depend on what kind of survival, how far north those armyworms can winter on, and what the kind of food they have during the off-season in the south. But they're going to come up on weather systems just like black cutworms. These are attracted to a little different situation. They're, they're primarily grass feeders. They'll take soybeans, but it's, it's last resort. Right. 
they feed on grasses, so they're looking for the densest grass they can find. So winter grains, for example, are mm-hmm. an issue. Fields where they have large grass along the edge, and because of the moisture, we've got some of that going this year. They feed on grasses, so crops like corn can be affected. Small grains, you know, armyworms right. are a big deal in small right. grains. The other thing with this, uh, we've had issues where guys have planted corn into a rye, winter rye cover crop. Mm-hmm. Uh, those need to be watched really close. It's a, it's a kind of a bad recipe. Right, right. Pros and cons of cover crops, which we'll get into on, at an, on another date this year, hopefully. Right now, I just quickly wanted to go to Dave Nikolai to see if Dave had a follow-up question. Well, I, I think it leads into some of the things that we're going to talk about later, Bill, and that is in terms of um, weed control and we think about grass and so forth. Now, I, I think you've covered it pretty well, Bill, in, in, uh, in terms yeah, of that. Yeah. I've in, in addition to that, unless Bruce has any uh, other um, insect uh, situations in terms of scouting early season corn now as it's emerging, I, I guess we could segue into that. What, what are some things, and if farmers are out looking at this uh, corn that's just emerging uh, from a um, an insect uh, or and or other situation or uh, IPM or disease situation, should they be looking at? Well, I think in 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 corn uh, we we talked about the cover crops and and I'll step in Dave's area there the weeds a little bit, but one of the things you got to be real cognizant on on cutworms, armyworms, and then we've got some other pests that are a little more rare and they tend to be edge edge pests, uh, things like common stock borer. If you've got a weedy field and you take those weeds out, you're taking a food supply away from those larvae, and you may no, not notice there's a problem until that, that food, other food supply is, is gone, and you'll force those cutworms into, uh, mm-hmm. into your crop. So if, if you have that situation, it's, it's important to look at, at that. Other things I'm kind of concerned about, if this weather stays cool and wet, uh, we had ideal conditions. These aren't insects at all, but ideal conditions for a slug mating and reproduction last fall. You know, we can get some mm-hmm. issues with uh, in no-till crops where, uh, with, with slugs, and particularly in soybeans. Following up with uh, some of Bruce Potter's comments on pest management, now we want to transition a little bit to where we're at with weed, especially with the, the spring weather, flooding, wet weather we've had, and delayed planting. So again, Dave Nikolai is with us, extension educator based out of Farmington, Minnesota. Dave, what are what are you seeing right now? And also asking this question in the context of both corn and soybeans. Well, fortunately, right now, Bill, what we're seeing today is uh, sunshine as we do this podcast, which we've been yeah. really missing up until this point. And I think, you know, the biggest aspect when we talk about early season weed growth in Minnesota, at least at this point has been maybe the lack of what I would call, for a better term, growing degree days. If you think about it and from a corn production standpoint, you know, I know listening to some uh, comments from uh, Tom Overstead, and, and I know Bruce has mentioned this before also at Lamberton and, and both at Waseca, you know, we're behind where we normally are significantly in terms of growing degree day units. And so we had cold temperatures in the evening, you know, warmer today, but we, mm-hmm. bottom line, it's, it's been cooler than normal in terms of the spring. And that also has impacted a lot of this early season weed growth. We've had plenty of moisture, but now as we kind of turn the calendar into June 1st and get closer into that, we're starting to warm up, have warmer nights, and we're, and we're going to see more flushes of weeds. We already have them out there, but uh, we're going to, it's, it's really going to come on quite a bit more. Uh, usually in, in this time of the year, giant ragweed is the, the first big emerger from a 
broadly standpoint. I mean, Lamb's Quarters is always there right, right along with it. The water hemp is starting to come on now, but that typically will come on even a little bit heavier as we get into the into the rest of the rest of the year. And of course, it makes a difference uh, what part of the state that you're in. You know, northwestern Minnesota has had a very good uh, spring. They've had a lot of uh, crops that have been planted early or on time. They've even been a little bit on the dry side, so uh, they've had to contend with some of that weed growth before others. But with this cooler and wetter than normal spring a lot of farmers you know put their first priority bill on planting getting that crop in so we've often talked about you know the need for pre-emergence herbicide you know not only on corn but really on soybeans as well particularly because of of water hemp so then it becomes a situation with you know oh my goodness i didn't get my pre on and now the weeds are coming up what can i do and that's where you really have to talk to your supplier talk to your crop consultant I'll read the label, you know, there's an idea mm-hmm. there too, in terms of can this product that's a pre be applied over the top of an emerged crop and will you get, you know, control there yet? It may not control the weeds that are already up, but at least you've got it on there for future situations. So that'll be the biggest challenge. Uh, and I know that Bruce has alluded to the, the, the lamb's quarters, you know, and situations of the complex with certain insects back and forth that are problematic as well. So we're going to have a, a lot of that, and I would expect uh, quite a bit more foxtail uh, with mm. that. We've got some of our okay. bigger seeded broadleaves that can come from farther down in the soil. Now, they're going to finally emerge, and then you have a lot of the smaller seeded stuff up, that's up on top. Okay, very good. Two quick questions, issues that have arisen the last few years in Minnesota, uh, as well as the Midwest, is resistance and Palmer amaranth update, but any key uh, weed species that expressed resistance at higher levels last year. Where, what are we looking at? Well, for? In, in terms of resistance, I mean, we've got the ever-present water hemp, and we not only have concerns about it with glyphosate, but some of the other modes of actions, what I call the PPO herbicides, products like Cobra, you know, it's, et cetera, where we're not getting control. So in some states, it's as much as a six-pack bill. You think mm. about it, it's a and you can relate to that. I can relate to yeah, that. Yeah, I can relate to yeah. that. Uh, yeah. It's a, like a six-way mode of action resistance package, you know, that can affect that. So it's it's there. We have to deal with it, and that's why we have, you know, uh, two pre's, a situation once at the beginning, one another one over the top, and maybe post okay. because of that. So we have to deal with that. It's The bottom line is switch up these modes of actions and these sites of actions and not be persistent with the same one right. again and again in, in, a, in a rotation and scout. Palmer Amaranth, just real briefly on that, it's not everywhere in the state of Minnesota. Uh, we have That's picked good. it up in pollinator situations, and you can talk yep. a little bit about that on maybe on another show, but uh, we are concerned about that. But this last year in other places and now towards uh, Bruce's area, uh, down in that particular area with uh, Redwood County, we had some situations where we had uh, screenings from feed that went into the with cattle feeding, went into the manure, and ended up with some spot uh, infestation, so Palmer amaranth. So there's different ways it can come into the state of Minnesota. You know, we've maybe had a half a dozen counties uh, so far. But the mm-hmm. bottom line is, you know, as we get farther along here, mm-hmm. look at something that in your field that's it's, if it's getting big, if it has long petioles on it, that's apart from the blade of the leaf back to the stem. You know, situation with that. Uh, you know, in situations, in, right. it, it could be uh, Palmer on the edges of the field, but get some expertise, get somebody a, a second, third opinion, and let the Minnesota Department of Ag know 
Right. Some of the population is resistant to glyphosate. Some of it is not. But we're going to basically treat it like you know, like I think, it is. Uh, I think a lot of be, people will be looking for oh, it care, yeah. and, carefully this year. And then so. let the Department of Ag know. Our, our bottom line is it's, right. it's, it's, it's a primary noxious weed and we want to eradicate it. Right. Very good. Well, that wraps up our show for today. And we look forward to hearing from many of you. It's talking to many of you in the future podcast as we go forward this summer. So thanks again, Dave and Bruce, for joining us today. 